So where are you today? Right this moment, in the car, at work, on a walk, or in the kitchen? What are you thinking and feeling right now? Are you happy, sick, anxious, or just plain tired? How does the truth that God is with you right now encourage you? Do you need to be reminded that He understands all your thoughts and feelings? 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him. Let this sink in for a minute. Everywhere you are today, God's eyes are on you. His eyes are not glaring in condemnation. Instead, they are filled with tenderness, desiring to give you strong support. Let's savor His nearness as we hear stories of God's presence in the ordinary lives of women. Welcome to Everywhere You Are. I wonder how you define mercy. It's a word so often paired with its sister attribute, grace. Yet mercy is something difficult to comprehend until we receive it or until granted to the least deserving. In this episode, we have the joy and privilege of talking to Dawson's own Lisa McNair. Lisa is an author and a coveted speaker on the subject of racial reconciliation. Her book, Dear Denise, Letters to the Sister I Never Knew, is a collection of 40 letters from Lisa to her sister Denise, who was one of the four girls who perished in the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in 1963. We hope you enjoy this conversation with our sister in Christ, Lisa, and come away with a new understanding of mercy. Welcome to Everywhere You Are. I'm your host, Rachel Langston, with Sarah Morlant, our co-host. And today our guest is Lisa McNair, who is a Dawson member and a lifetime Birmingham resident. So, Lisa, let's get started. Just tell us where you are today. Well, uh, thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Um, I am Lisa McNair, as you said, and um, my sister Denise was one of the four girls killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. So um, that happened before I was born, but it kind of is um, a huge part of my life and who I am and what I do. And recently I wrote a memoir um, that was released last year called Dear Denise Letters to the Sister I Never Knew and talks about her life and our family since her murder but then what life was like for me being part of the first generation of African Americans to move freely through the United States after segregation was lifted. So that's kind of where I am and what I do every day. And I travel the country talking about that, but also talking about reconciliation, how we as a people are more alike than we are different, and how with love and remembering that each one of us is a human being, uh, we can come together and kind of heal the ills of our country. 
That's fascinating. Did you do you have other siblings? I do. We have another younger sister, uh, Kimberly McNear Brock, who is with Biddy's Living Kitchen, her own catering business. <laughs> Look her up on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and uh, she's our younger sister, my younger sister, by four years. Okay. And how much would year? How many? years would there have been between you and Denise? Uh, would have been 12 because okay. I was born, um, my mother tried to have other children, but she kept miscarrying the whole 11 years that okay. Denise was living. Okay. And um, I was born almost exactly a year from the date she was killed. Wow. And then four years after that, Kim was born. Okay. Okay. Well, how did, like, have you always been involved in the kind of work you're doing now, or did you do something else prior to that? Or I did. Uh, I worked for the Birmingham Convention and Visitors Bureau, okay. um, helped promoting tourism here for a number of years. Then I worked in my family's business, Chris McNair Studios and Art Gallery, till it went out of business. And then, uh, and that's its whole story and podcast, <laughs> all by itself. <laughs> and uh, then I started working. Graciously, it's wonderful person who Beth Franklin hired me to be her executive assistant at Hand and Paw. So I spent 15 okay. years uh, at Hand and Paw, where we provide animal assisted therapy. I still say we, because I still feel like I'm part of them, even though I don't work there anymore. Yeah. Great, great organization. Wonderful, wonderful. So how did you get to Dawson? Oh, God brought me to Dawson because nothing else really makes sense about that whole thing. Uh, I was watching it on TV, and my dad didn't go to church all the time, but I could get him to watch Dawson on TV. So um, when uh, one of the first African-American couples moved here, I saw them, and they used to be at the church where I was, the black church where I was, and they said, would you like to come and visit? I was like, heck yeah, I've been wanting to see the inside of that place for years. I watched it on TV. <laughs> You've seen it on TV. Yeah, and so I came, and uh, Gary Fenton was a pastor at that time, and he was so nice to me. Like, he came running down the aisle after church and greeted me. He knew my dad and stuff. And then when I came back, like, it seemed like months and months later, he remembered my name and everything. I was like, he remembers my name. Gary Fenton on TV knows who I am. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody was just so wonderful. And the Sunday school class was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to, like, be a member to be a drawn. And so you could participate. So I could kind of be under the radar at my other church and then come over here and uh, it was fantastic cool. and I remember thinking I really was looking for another church home and this was not on the list and um but God kept bringing me back over here. And I kept having the normal things like, how is a black person who is this whole huge civil rights history come and join this seriously white church? How right. are you going to do that? And what are your friends going to say? What's your mama going to say? What's your sister going to say? <laughs> and all a little ridiculous, like, oh, how you going to pay your tithes to the church with white people? White people already got enough money. And then, <laughs> you know, all the ridiculous things that make no sense now. Um, because Dawson is very active in all lower income areas and they help our areas. So um, 
all the reasons I kept trying to talk myself out of it didn't work. And mm-hmm. finally, I just said, Jesus, okay, Jesus, you know that feeling you give me when you really are telling me, yes, move, step up, you know, run, jump out and do what I'm telling you to do. I need you to give me that feeling about Dawson. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it until I feel that. So I kept going for a while. And then one Sunday I came and a lady who was from the church I was from had been visiting almost equally about the same amount of time, but she had been visiting at a different service and I never saw her. And as we walked to the parking lot, she expressed all the same ridiculous things, reasons for not joining. Those were the ones I had and it sounded so stupid coming out of her face. (laughs) And I was just like, okay. So right there while she's talking, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'll join next Sunday. And so next Sunday, I made sure my hair looked nice because at that time, I didn't know if that was on TV and I didn't want to, I wanted to represent and I look bad and I got a new dress and I had my look discovered Dawson Carr I already feel that when I walked down the aisle and uh, joined the church and I've been here since 03 that's fantastic oh I love that so much (laughs) that is so funny that she was saying the same things you were saying yeah and you were just struck with that is so neat how because it just sounded I was like well that's not a reason that's not a reason (laughs) I was like, why does she keep saying it? And I was like, and the Lord's like, this same stuff you just saying. Right. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know you talk about Gary remembering your name. Um, we had, my husband and I had not been here very long, but we had joined the church and we sort of, I mean, you know, we knew of Gary and his wife, but we really didn't know them. And one Sunday morning, we passed him in a stairwell and he called us he said oh how are the you know lamberts or something i don't know what he said uh-huh. but it it was close to our name but it wasn't exactly our name but right. we were passing so fast that i really i mean i was like oh we're good good to see you you know and kept on walking uh-huh. and after the service we were downstairs in the nursery picking up our our son and Dr. Fenton came to find us to say, I just wanted you to know that I know your name. I just, I called wow. you by the wrong name. <laughs> he was amazing. And yeah. I thought either he has a real gift for that uh-huh. or that's just right. kind of one of his things is that I'm going to know these people's names because I ha- I would never would have thought about it again. Yeah. But he yeah. came to find us to tell us he, he wanted us to know he really did know who we were. <laughs> so Well, I thought you so were going to cool. go ahead and say that he called you Lamberts for the rest of no. your time. <laughs> no. I think if he did, that probably wouldn't even be a story. But I've always been right. struck by the fact that he was so intentional about knowing who, who you know, people are yeah, at Dawson. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, he's well, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about mercy. Um and what that looks like. Um, I mean, I think that's one of those words, Sarah, you might have a, a take on this, but I think that's one of those words that we hear a lot, but we maybe don't necessarily exactly know what that means or what that looks like every day. Um, so I've always been operating out of that definition of grace is receiving a gift you did not deserve, mm-hmm. and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mm, that's good. I like that. But I think it's more complicated than that. And I think you do know when you are the recipient of mercy 
I mean, for me personally, I've been the recipient of mm-hmm. mercy, like not getting something I deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you experience it, you know it. But yeah, that's kind of what comes to my mind. What comes to your mind with the word mercy? Oh, wow. I like what you said. I don't know if I can think of anything better. I mean, the big answer, obviously, is that we all have received mercy from the Lord Mm -hmm. because we all deserve death. Yeah, yeah. But just day to day, you know, I I struggle to figure out what that looks like walking it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it's just... uh, Grace and mercy, they're like they're twins, you know. Right. Um, they're just wonderful. I mean, you know, like if you know you hadn't studied for a test and you come to the class and the teacher gives you an extra day to bring your, turn your paper in. Right. And you know you're really, you're behind schedule, not because you just worked so hard and it was challenging, but that you went to the movies with your friend and played with the dog. Cause, and then, like at 9.30 on <laughs> Sunday night, you started working on that paper that was due at 8 o'clock next morning. And right. then you get there and the teacher says, well, I'll give you another day. Right. Don't worry about it. Right. You know, that's kind of uh, mercy that... It's just wonderful. You really don't deserve that. And you don't, you don't expect yeah. it. Maybe. And you don't expect it. Right. But it's it's there for you whenever. And so, I think we have to be that way with each other. I think in, in a lot of ways we're very critical. We're very by the book, especially those of us who are Christian, been Christian a long time. Very by the book. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And that's great if that's how you are wired. Um, but then everybody isn't wired like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to show kindness. My, my sis, I live with my sister and my her husband in a house that my parents lived in. So mm-hmm. we all live together. So my basic thinking in my mind is they're the younger ones and they're always doing stuff they ain't got no business and they need to. <laughs> and they get on my nerves and they're very irresponsible. <laughs> and I was like, I just wish they were more like me because I'm perfect and that you know, I, I do everything right. And then God often brings to my attention, you know, you need grace and mercy, just they need grace and mercy just like I give you grace and mercy all the time. Right. And you need to be cognizant of that and more supportive of that. So last night the dog has been sick and I've had to give him some medicine. So he he gets all this wonderful food that we keep in the refrigerator. So I took the tray out (laughs) to get some of it to mush it up with some gravy and give him some pills last night. And I put it on the other side of this big jar of water my sister keeps of uh, alkaline water so when I left the kitchen after giving that to the dog I didn't see it like you know when you do that scan to make yeah. sure you put and I didn't see it so this morning my sister says you left the dog food out on the counter all night long and I had to eat that because I did that. That would have been something that they would have done or I would have chastised them. How irresponsible. Right. And then here I am, the one who claims to know how to do everything right. I've done it. So, yeah. you know, the next time they do something crazy, I'm going to have to give them more grace and mercy because, <laughs> you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why that scripture is there because yeah. it's so true. Everybody has a day. Right. When they right. do something wrong. So what does that look like with what you do in your work with reconciliation and talking to people and that kind of thing? 
Um, I think it, it, it has a lot to do with it. And I think I wish more I could talk to the whole world and people could hear and listen. Um, for white people, we have to give white people grace because white people don't always know what they don't know. Um, and, and then you have to understand that there, there's a segment of white uh, brothers and sisters who are lost, who are racist, who are hateful, who are angry because Mima was hateful and Papa mm -hmm. and, and my mom and, and their moms and stuff. But then there's also those white people who might not be saying things or voting on the things you think they ought to be voting on because they don't know. I can't tell you in the last two, three years how many white people have said, I didn't know about Enid Till. I'd never heard about that story. Mm. I didn't know about the four little girls. I didn't know that these things really took place. I was never shared. I was never talking. We're not talking about white people who are like 20, 30, 40. We're talking about 50, 60, 70 year old white people who don't know what I know as a 58 year old woman. But And, and when they know, they do better and they see better mm -hmm. because they know me and they love me and we've formed a friendship and we have a relationship. And they know as a Christian, okay, some things are wrong and they're just wrong no matter who you are and what you do and what part are you with and, you know, right is right and right and wrong nobody is what mama used to say. So grace to to black people. Give it, give it to white people because you all are our brothers and sisters. But then we as a black person, you know, we've got to get learn to give y'all grace, you know, um, and not be so angry. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, we we've we've gotten to pull the short stick for a long time, but everybody didn't give you that short stick. Every white person's not a hateful person, and we have to look at each other as individuals. You know, I have a very um, different life. My parents, you know, after the bombing, made sure that our life was very, very integrated. So I have a lot of white friends, and then, but then a lot of my black friends don't have a lot of white friends. I mean, I'm talking like intimate white friends. You know, a lot of people, a lot of white people might know some black people, or some black people might know some white people. But like white people in and out of my house all the time, you know. I have girlfriends who I chat with all the time. We share secrets. We talk about dating men who, you know, and you know how much of a pain that is. And um, uh, you know, uh, you know, and so it's a, like I'm here at Dawson. I would have to have an intimate connection that grew up with white people to be here and be comfortable in this space as I am. Um, so I think I answered the question right. But, you know, that's kind of what, you know, I think we have to give each other grace and have conversations mm -hmm. with each other about what's going on. I never get when George Floyd died and we were all stuck at home and uh, several of my black friends or people I would encounter would say, oh, white people just keep calling me every day and they have all these questions. It was like they're getting on my nerves. I don't want to ask the questions white people are asking. Why are they asking me questions? And I was like, I'm just not going to answer any of those questions. They ought to know. And I said, no, they don't know. This is your yeah. one opportunity. If someone has thanks enough of you to come to you, you need to be kind, you need to be respectful, you need to be open so they can learn and then they can turn that around, but also they can share that with somebody else right. and it could be a ripple effect. And no, and I said, and I, I, somebody said that in an audience one time and I said, no ma'am. <laughs> You may not not answer their question. <laughs> you got yeah. to answer their question, and you're going to be nice about it because that's what the Lord wants you to do, and you might not never get a chance. So, no, ma'am, you don't get to do that. 
and they was like, well, yes, ma'am. You know. Um, but well, we how many people wouldn't ask the question though? That's the thing. Right. It, what a gift that somebody's willing right. to ask Brave the question. Enough. Right. But sometimes it probably even comes in not kind ways. I mean, that person was brave enough to you know, ask the question. I can relate on a much smaller scale. I have a daughter with a very severe disability. Mm. And so going in public is a really eye-opening experience for our family that there are so many people not exposed to disability, especially severe disability. Mm -hmm. And I have said in this journey so many times, why do I have to educate the world? Yeah. You know, like... Why do I have to educate parents to teach their children to be kind and not stare? Right, right. And there are times, or just say hello, stare, but say hello, you know. Right. And there are times that that, number one, is painful. Mm-hmm. And then number two is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... Right, but it is a calling. You know, it this is. is what God saw fit yeah. to, you know, allow into our lives. And it's a, she is a tremendous blessing. But anyway, it's just a calling. And so I can relate a little bit. Another thing you said, really, I just was thinking about education. You're so right. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so, so much mm-hmm. of it is like educating people um, as to what it is like to to be you and mm-hmm. to be me. Um, and my mom was a U.S. history teacher. I grew up in South Texas, and so cool. we did not have a lot of black people in our community. We had a lot of Hispanic people. So mm-hmm. we were very diverse, but a different kind of diversity. Mm-hmm. But I think because my mom kind of lived through the civil rights movement, and she was very passionate about it. And so in class, we watched Eyes on the Prize, which oh, is that yeah. PBS special yeah. from way back. It was and, on yesterday. Mm-hmm, and she was just very <laughs> intentional both in her classroom and in our family about teaching us about that but I just read and learned new things I just finished reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson oh, such a good book oh my god it's, it's so incredible it's and just learning you know the systematic racism that exists in the prison system and mm-hmm. it's just opened my eyes to things I never would have would have known and it's all stories yeah 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 and it's it's all out there for for people to learn about and mm-hmm. and and know and and we have to do better you know you mentioned your daughter having a disability I love classic movies oh like I mean, a fun day for me is at home by myself with TCM and all the old movies <laughs> and just like, you know, grunge food in the refrigerator, fruit right. and salami and cheese and crackers <laughs> and potato chips and just watching. Charcuterie board. Charcuterie right. board. I love yeah. it's like my new favorite thing. And, uh, so we've come so far. You know, I'll see little kids with Down syndrome or something now, and they'll be in the mainstream doing things, or they're mm-hmm. on a TV show, or you see them in the, in the stores, and they've been kids with disabilities and all this having ramps and things. But those old movies, anybody who was different was totally vilified right. as a bad person or they were put in an institution or they want, you know. So we've come a long way in that, that um, 
perspective because those people are just human beings like the rest of us. God just put them here and made them different. And we have to embrace them because each one of us is different right. in some weird way. I mean, in some odd way that's right. not like other people, you know, and we have to appreciate the differences that each one of us have. You mentioned that after your sister's death, your parents were very intentional about it, you having a more integrated Upbringing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what did that look like mm-hmm. in terms of specific things they did to to make sure that was a reality for you? Uh, first thing they did that I don't they didn't do this deliberately. I don't think because it, there was only, well, no way they could have done this deliberately. My dad did not go to church with my mom, which that's a whole other story for podcast. <laughs> Our couple should fellowship together and not apart. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's so many sound. Write these down. You got extra podcasts. Really? And, uh, uh, so he he went to a small Lutheran church, maybe two hundred members. They were all black except for five people. And those five people were the pastor, his wife, and three kids were white. So we grew up with my dad's pastor being a white man. And that guy and his family at our house all the time. And we were at their house all the time. Then when the Elwangers left and they got another church and moved up north, they brought in another white guy with a bunch of kids and his wife with a bunch of kids. And then that guy moved and then they brought in another guy. So daddy's intimate church relationship was always with white people, with white person as your minister. And he was a leader in church. So you couldn't automatically think, well, all white people are bad because you had these people who were in your intimate circle that you know, which love you and they don't, and they're not racist and they support the cause and they want to help you improve. So that was first. And I think that was a God thing because they didn't orchestrate that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, um, he they put us in predominantly white private schools. We went to Advent Episcopal mm-hmm. Day School. Um, originally, I didn't get in because they said at four, that I took the test to be in four-year-old kindergarten. I didn't pass the four-year-old kindergarten <laughs> test. Now, y'all know what that was because who <laughs> is not smart enough to be a four-year-old kindergarten? And right. your mom was a teacher and you have a uh, genius IQ. Right. So, yeah, right. we know what that is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I got started in second grade there, and that was deliberate. You know, my mom was a school public school teacher, so she was not necessarily fond of this idea that Daddy had. But she understood that he wanted a, the best education at that time. I think it was one of the best private schools in the area for us, and so. That was just deliberate. And then Daddy had other friends who were white. He went on to be the first black person to be in the state legislature in 1973. And so uh, he had intimate friends. You know, Daddy just didn't make friends with, oh, I'm going to have this person as a black friend today. Oh, I'm going to just be friends. He just saw you, got to talking, liked you. Mm -hmm. And you were his friend. Mm -hmm. You come over to the house or he'd go over to your house. And he was a professional photographer. So he was one of the main photographers for black people for the black community but white people were just as much at the studio getting their pictures made as that so the so the whole life 
was just open like that. It was more him than her. Not that she had a problem with it, but where he was in the spaces just he was. Just happened more organically. And, yeah, more organic. She was a school teacher in the public school system, so she had her friends, and she was just kind of in that space, but it didn't, wasn't like she didn't like white people but that right. he would bring around. Right. But it, it came from him. It came def- directly from him. Well, even though he was in more places where more white people were, right, he right. had to be willing to be open to those relationships. Right, right, um, right. And, and he so, caught flack for it sometimes. Because some of the other black politicians in the area and friends in the area were not thrilled that he was close with white people, you know. And I get that because, you know, for centuries, you've had a, this race is the enemy. So mm-hmm. you be polite to them, but you don't Trust them. Trust them. Right. And don't bring them in your intimate circles. How is that going to work? But, you know, he, he like me and my sister, you know, we can't turn that around. You know, I can't be nice to y'all today and then see you in Walmart later on this afternoon, like, and ignore you. You right. know, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's not how I'm Which wired. is not really a black-white thing. It's just a human thing. It's a human being thing. You know, it's a real human being thing. So that that's kind of how they navigated that for us and made sure that that, you know, our spaces were very open and accepting to all people. And just this is really I don't even know if this is for the podcast or just my curiosity. But <laughs> but you're, I mean, obviously, your parents were devastated when your sister was killed. But it doesn't seem the bitterness and the anger doesn't seem to have have totally changed their life they seem to not only have been intentional about white relationships with your you and your family but like the forgiveness and the and i mean you're taking that and making a a good thing out of it Mm -hmm. that's Uh, who they were they um they never taught us to hate i remember asking my mom when i was a little girl um i was at advent at this point and just hearing other people say things and listening to the news and thinking you know hearing things that white people had done to black people and i'm thinking well maybe i'm supposed to hate white people and i just don't know that because nobody ever said that you know and uh, i remember asking her should i hate white people and she said no you shouldn't hate white people you should love them and love everybody like christ loves us Mm. and that was her answer and i was like okay good because that was gonna be challenging (laughs) (laughs) i was sure how that was gonna work that was gonna take a lot of thinking and remember but now that I don't have to hate them, okay, I just treat them like everybody else. That's good. <laughs> Do you see a lot of differences in our culture, good or bad, from from that time in your life to now? Can you see that we've improved at all? Oh, yeah. We have in a lot, a lot of ways. Um, and I talk about that in my book as well. You know, there were times when, um, you know, I couldn't be a member of Dawson. Baptist Church. They would have not wanted me or accepted me. Um, And I've been very, very well received here. Um, And then I think I've also heard white people and seen white people have an interest in who I am, an interest in black culture and black history. And I see a lot of that, you know, on TV. Um, in the news, um, 
Black History Month almost at one point was a month just for us, mm-hmm. but now it's everywhere. It's like, you know, I was watching uh, comedy the other night in between the commercial break. CBS uh, uh, acknowledges Black History Month, you know, <laughs> and uh, so I matter now. So right. that's it's very you know helpful and that I see that um and then I see us integrating more together as friends and even in relationships you know we I know black and white people who are married to one another and they've been married to each other for many many years now they have children and uh the coolest thing is to see this old old gray hair white couple walk in the grocery store with this little mixed baby grandbaby that they just <laughs> making a big deal over mm-hmm. and you know that they, one of their children is married uh somebody of color and they're just very they've got this new grandbaby and they're not worried about what she looks like or he looks like they're just excited right um so little things like that little openings up and and then that's when i get irritated at the people screaming the crt stuff because nobody really even knows what crt stuff is and they're not doing that (laughs) in elementary school they're doing that in colleges or, or law schools or whatever but you know they're it's being morphed into Okay, well, let's just not teach anything about blackness because it might lead to CRT. No, that's not right. Like the story of Denise and our family is a story that's an American story. It's our shared American history. It is a story of love and, and resilience, and it needs to be shared in schools. Right. So I think the only way we can do better is to be in each other's spaces. Um, know each other and love each other. You know, I'm not now the only black friend, black person I know who's got white friends. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a couple other girlfriends who have intimate, close white friends. You know, but then I still have some friends. Like last night, I was talking to one of my friends I grew up with before I went to the white school. And another thing I talk about in my book, when I went to white school, I lost some people. That I ne- some I never picked back up, and some of them I just never I lost the connection because I wasn't in those spaces all the time. Right. And so we've reconnected, and she doesn't really. She was thinking about it last night. She was talking. She's like, it's just been so great getting back to talk with you. She says, I don't have any real white friends. She's like, I got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. How did that? How did I get in that space? And so it's very very cool. So I, I, there are a lot of people making the change. And another 10 years, it will look even different than it is. And I think it will look different for the better. Um, I think we have to remember at the end of the day, we're all first human beings um, and second American citizens all in the same country that we have to support. Um, One of the chapters in my book, I talk about 9-11 and how that day made me feel and what that day was about. And the one key thing I remember about 9-11 is, by the time I left my house and got to the gas station, they hit the Pentagon. And so that, and the first thing I thought when I heard that on the radio, getting out of the car to get gas, they didn't come to get white people. They didn't come to get Asian people. They didn't come to get black people. They didn't come to get anybody. They came to get us. Americans. Right. Americans. And we need to stand together so that we can hold a united front um, and be strong as a country. Because people will come to get us. They're not going to come to get you know people that live on this side of town. They're coming to get everybody. They're not going to say, wait a minute. 
So, okay, I only want the white people, all the black people leave. That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Fantastic. You going to write another book? I would like to write another book. I would like to. So I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> it's been such a whirlwind since uh, the book came out. I'm still trying to catch my breath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, UA Press is the publisher, and so they're about to print a third run of it. That's which so is exciting. really exciting. Yeah, I'm ready to read it. It's, it's awesome. on my list. Awesome. And then um, uh, um, I'm traveling doing public speaking. Do you like that? I love it so much. I can't even tell you how much I love to get on a plane and smell the airplane smell at the airport. Yeah. You know, and buy a parfait for breakfast about <laughs> so early. So, where's so the, exciting. Where's the place you've been that you never thought you'd go? Minnesota. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been in Minnesota. The next, the end of the month will be the third time. Wow. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> yes. That's not really on a lot of people's bucket list. It's not. A, but uh, they're hiring me to come speak to uh, some students there. And so wow. that's that's very interesting. I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Will you come back and do more podcasts with us? I would love to. This is fun. <laughs> so this fun. This is great. Yeah. All right. Anything, Sarah, that you didn't say you want to say? No, just thank you for being yes, here and sharing you your so story much. and writing your story because I feel you. that stories make the difference and, and helping us realize our shared humanity and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank yes. you well, so I think much. One thing that keeps striking me of a lot of what you said is about it's not black people or, or white people. It's that you have relationships with individual people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a it's not. I mean, that's really where it starts is one relationship at a time. Yeah. And I think Daddy used to always say, you know, how sometimes we're in our private spaces and we might say, ooh, all black people do this. Or we might say, all white people do this. He would never say that. He would always say, well, you know, human beings are such such human beings. And then for the lives, it was like, why are you saying human beings? Just call it what it is. But it was... It wasn't. But that's not what it but is. But the words, and the is. words and the language we use matters. Matter. They it, matter. It shows value. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was intentional. It was for intentional. Sure. He was very intentional. Since they've passed on, it's. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the intentionality of what they did for us and how they taught us and how they raised us. Do you find his words coming out of your mouth? Or or her words coming out (laughs) of your mouth? Often. Often. Very often. Yeah. Your parents sound incredible. They were awesome. Totally, totally awesome. I miss them terribly. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like Lisa, we are called to extend mercy to those closest to us those in our family who frustrate, and those that break our hearts. Other times, we are the ones in need of mercy. We have to ask ourselves, how can we be agents of mercy today? In our workplace, in our homes, amongst our neighbors, even in the pews of our church, how can we extend the radical gift of mercy or grant the gift of grace? If you find yourself in a place of longing for the healing flood of mercy's waters, I encourage you to read Psalm 51. It begins with a prayer of David's that we can echo in our most vulnerable moments. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everywhere You Are. Please rate and review us on your podcast platform and share us with other women that you think could benefit from hearing about God working in the lives of ordinary women. To learn more about the Dawson family of faith, please visit DawsonChurch.org and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We look forward to meeting you.